And so this morning, we'll be looking from the scriptures and thinking together about solitude, which simply, at its core, is removing ourselves from the call of this world and giving our single devotion and attention and affection to God. So I want to start with um, just saying up front, I don't come to you today because um, they didn't ask me to talk about this because I'm an expert. I, I don't have a credentials in solitude and I don't own a cave and I, um, you know, I'm not known as a hermit or anything. And so I don't come as an expert. Um, in fact, I may be very much like you. Uh, some of us, I find it easier to have solitude than others. Some of us may lean towards solitude or lean towards, well, that's how it works. If, if you get your energy, you get re-energized by, by being alone, kind of being secluded from people. You can be around them for a while, but then, oh, man, you just got to need some alone time. Then, then solitude might be a little easier. If you're the opposite where people give you energy and, and you're by yourself, gosh, I'm so depressed. I just need to go to a mall and have people bump into me and feel like I'm alive on the earth. And, and so those folks might find it more difficult or unnatural to pursue solitude. The case I'm going to make this morning is, is at the very minimum, this was Jesus' normative practice to seek solitude. And, and if we're going to follow him, if we're going to be, well, Christians, little Christ, those who are being conformed to his image, then we would be wise to practice what he practiced. So let's start with Mark 6. This is the only spot in the New Testament where there is a command to pursue solitude. Now the command is to the disciples, and we might be stretching a little bit if we're going to say the command is indirectly towards us. But this is the only spot here. So we'll look here first. Matthew 6, verse 7. Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirit. So Jesus said, hey, we're going to do some work today. You guys are going to go on a little trip, a little business trip. And here's what you need. I'm going to empower you over the spirits, over the demons. And he charged them to take nothing for the journey. You have to depend on me, guys. You have to depend on God. You're going to uh, take no bread. No bag, no money. Wear sandals. Don't put on two tunics. Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you, they won't listen to you. When you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And here's what happened. They cast out many demons and anointed oil, many who were sick, and healed them. So Jesus tasked them, then empowered them, and then it happened. It worked. They preached the message of repentance for the kingdom of God has come. People respond to that. They cast out the demons in the name of the Lord, and they leave. People who are infirm, and there's a lot of people who are sick, the message comes with power. They're healed. And so they return to Jesus, verse 30. This is going to be one exciting Monday morning meeting. Wait till you hear what happened, Jesus. He told him all they had done and taught. We went out two by two. We went here, and this two went here, and we went here. And they responded, oh, yeah, well, here's what he responds to them. 
This is what he tells them. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. All the reports are in, great. Leave. Now, I'm not sending you back out for round two. Now, we're not going to stand here and congratulate each other and high five all day. Let's, let's get away to a desolate place. Let's get away to solitude. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. At maybe one of the high points. I mean, it, things are getting done. People responding to the message of repent. The word is coming with power. So many people are, are flocking to them. They barely have time to eat. And he says, we, we need to get out of here. What do you mean? Don't you strike? People are here. Don't leave now. No, now's when we leave. In fact, they tried to leave, and, and the text goes on. Someone from shore was kind of following them, and, and they met them on the other side. And, but this is the one command. Watch this other text to try and show you that this was not just commanded once, but the normal practice of Jesus. So Matthew 4, turn a couple pages over. Matthew 4, verse 1. This is the kind of inauguration, the initiating of Jesus' ministry. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, okay, God's will, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into solitude, to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. At the beginning of his ministry, it begins in solitude. Luke chapter 6, when Jesus chooses, of all those who are following him, he chooses the 12 who have the greatest access to him, who, who will be his well, disciples, the apostles. Luke 6, verse 12. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And then when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So prior to establishing these 12, he, he goes off to be not just alone by himself, but with the Father. And we're not privy to what that experience was like, but we know he came back and chose, and we know what some of the 12 are like. Chose Peter, rash, quick-tempered, Highly practical, not a touchy-feely, encouraging kind of guy. John, I mean, what's this little young one going to do for us? He's barely a man. Judas, the betrayer, didn't make any mistakes choosing them. But solitude is where this came from. Matthew 14 when Jesus learned of the death of his cousin, second cousin John the Baptist, he withdraws to solitude. Verse 10, he sent 
This Herod, he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples, John's disciples, came and took the body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. They told him what had happened and how it had happened. John, who baptized Jesus, and whom God, in the vision of a dove, announces, this is my son who I'm well pleased his cousin. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself, to solitude. Matthew 14, verse 23. He feeds the 5,000 and then after that retreats to solitude. Matthew 14, verse 23. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place and there he prayed. After healing a leper in Luke 15, he withdraws to a desolate place to pray. The Mount of Transfiguration. And we only have the accounts of those who were there. It's not a public place. This is a deserted place that this occurs. The Garden of Gethsemane, the solitude, only interrupted by the arrest party. It was a normal pattern of Jesus to seek solitude. And this alone is enough for us to consider what role, what place should solitude have in our lives? If, if I'm going to follow him, then how should this thing he did, with enough regularity that the gospel writers recorded it again and again, what role should this have in my life? We'll start with what is solitude. This is Don Whitney's definition. He says that solitude is voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. So it's voluntary. Okay, this is not the isolation someone experiences when you get defriended or when people depart from you or ignore you or reject you. That, you can't control that. This is the solitude you find when you withdraw from others, when, when you initiate that. It's temporary. It's not living in a hermit. It's not buying a cave somewhere. It's not cutting yourself off from regular human interaction. It's for spiritual purposes. See, the motive of solitude is to be with God. You can be alone. You can be all by yourself and not have solitude. It's not escaping from others because we're pouting over a hurt. That's that's pouting. It's not kind of escaping and plotting our revenge. That's not solitude. That's plotting your revenge all by yourself. It's not escaping justice like Moses. Okay? It's not this. This is not solitude. It's not that. Well, you see this a lot. You see head down, phone up. This isn't solitude. Solitude, at its very minimum, is to get me, to get you in the presence of God. It's, it's to remove 
all the other false rescuers, false saviors, and I would give my attention and my affection and my devotion to God alone. Let me give you a couple reasons, a couple things I think emerge from solitude. One is in solitude, we get to see the condition of our heart more clearly. When the noise of our, our normal life is reduced, this is what the series is about, these, these inward disciplines, when just the normal churn and chaos and, of normal life is kind of held at bay and barriered from us, what's left, if you're there long enough, what's left is just simply you and God. And if you've chosen a place or a spot with few distractions, few things to look at, you begin to turn inward and look at your heart. You may have heard of the um, youth ministry Young Life, which primarily ministers to high school and middle school students. One of the things I like so much about what they do in the summertime, they, they run a camp, and they run them all over the country, and it's kind of the same pattern. They, they kind of slowly unveil the gospel during the week of camp. You know, they have five nights of camp, and, and each, each night is, is a message. It was fun all day long. Each night's a message. It's a portion of the gospel that builds on each other. So the you know, first night is, you know, God is the loving creator of the world, and he's made you with a purpose that he's designed from eternity. That sounds great. Sign me up. Next night is that, but everyone's messed up this purpose. Everyone has um, well, rejected him as the ruler and done this by trying to live life on their own. I, I can see that. And then the third night is, is kind of the examine your heart night. Third night is when they say, this rejection of God as your king, he won't let that happen forever. Eventually, the punishment for that is going to be death and judgment. And what they normally do is they don't give the, but Jesus, they don't give that. They say, now we want you to go be alone for about a half hour. There's dozens and dozens of acres in this camp. We've got lakes and rivers and ponds and trees and all the rest. You just go find some spot. You take your Bible and you just go be in God's presence. And as the heavens declare his glory, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands, they pour forth night after night. I've had more than a few students in college tell me when I was at Young Life Camp on that night is when God really convicted me of my sin. I'd heard the gospel before, but just blew through it too fast. And then the next night, the next minute, it's, but Jesus can change that. He can rescue you from that. It's that solitude. I would say, I finally saw myself as I really am. My need for him as it really is. Solitude can be physically, in, we can be physically and spiritually restored in solitude. Uh, There's a refreshing that I've experienced in solitude that is really unlike what I experience with other people. And I've been to plenty of retreats and conferences and, and whatnot where it's been um, designed to be refreshing and recharging and encouraging but it's usually of a different nature than when I experience that in solitude with God. When these times happen, it's usually with a guitar and some song sheets, and I sing some and pray some and, and usually make up some words that, that are not going to be sung as this song in any building. 
just me and him. And I feel revived. I feel physically different. And I always want walk away wondering, why have I waited so long to do this again? I don't mean days. I don't even mean weeks. Why have I waited months or months or more? Just take an extended time, an hour or so, and just be in his presence. Solitude is where we can seek and find the will of God. There's so many things that we need, wisdom and direction. And some of these things just can't come from the counsel of others. Not alone. Some things just can't come from the wise counsel of others all by themselves. They have to come from the presence of God. Periodically, my role as one one of your um, missionaries in North America is I I need to travel to Nashville or Atlanta for uh, some meetings. And more often than not, these trips become uh, kind of extended periods of solitude for me. You know, from the drive to the airport to, you know, getting through security and all the rest and waiting at the terminal to the flight itself to this kind of roommate I get assigned that I kind of casually know and we have chit-chat for half hour and then, you know, kind of on our own in a room together. It becomes an extended period of solitude for me. And now I just plan for, I'm going to have a notebook and I'm looking for God to make things clear. And there's been countless trips or retreats or series or insights that I've, or logo designs or fresh ways to serve my family that have emerged from this solitude. Where now I begin to look forward to it. Look forward to this extended period where I'm removed from my regular responsibilities. I think another thing that solitude does, that God uses it for, is to gain perspective, to see things clearly. For us to, you know, we, our existence now is we kind of are straddling two worlds. We have one foot in this world and one foot in the world to come if we're a believer. You know, we're kind of between two worlds. And if I lean too much towards this world, I, I just don't see, I don't interpret life accurately. So one thing solitude does is it, it helps, helps us see how things are supposed to be. Example of this, one of my kids uh, has this kind of a chronic knee pain. And it's, it's, you know, we've seen some physical therapists and MRI, and, it, and it's just 13, he's going to have to live with it for a while until he grows or God does something. And this gets in the way of a lot of things he wants to do. And he's not shy about telling us that's in his way. Um, and, but recently, uh, we talked about this kid, Justin, He's 13, who uh, goes to church with us at Ogletown. And um, Justin has uh, muscular dystrophy. And so Justin, he probably hasn't ran. I haven't seen him run in at least five years. He's been in a wheelchair this whole last year or so. In a little while, in a few more years, he'll probably be in a bed most of the time. He's 13. Some some live into their 30s and 40s, but, but many don't. And so his breathing will become labored. And he'll go on to be with the Lord. That puts knee pain in perspective. Solitude puts all our pains of this life in perspective. The screams, the things that scream and shout so loud and we think they're, they're just the primary thing in the way of what I want in life. 
in solitude, they get put in their proper perspective. And the things that agitated or pained you so much, you might find relief from those alone in his presence. Richard Foster writes it this way. He says that we can cultivate an inner solitude and silence that sets us free from loneliness and fear, from the fear of being alone. And loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. So we're not just talking about being alone here. We're talking about finding in the presence of God true fulfillment. We'll talk about some how-tos. How does one pursue solitude? C.J. Mahaney has this little simple formula. He says, get quiet, get alone, and get with God. And all the other details, it's just your creativity, how you want to wield those. Uh, Others suggest uh, these possible scenarios, a half hour a day of solitude, and maybe a half day a month of solitude, and then a weekend a year of solitude. Now, this used to be a normal practice a couple centuries ago. And you may be thinking, there's no way. Maybe the first one, but the second two, that's not going to be able to happen. Let me give you some other options. We'll come back to these. Uh, I think the primary thing is to have a goal of daily solitude. Maybe you can't work a half hour yet. Maybe your schedule doesn't allow. Maybe from the time you wake up in the morning, there are people dependent on you to live. And then they fall asleep, you fall asleep too. Let me give you some options here. Um, wield your current routine, your current things you do. There's some things you can change a little bit to create some solitude. In college, uh, my radio in my car broke. It just wouldn't work. And you know, I wasn't Mr. Radio Shack and couldn't make it work, so I just drove around with a broken radio. And for the first couple of days, was completely bored out of my mind. Just, I couldn't believe believe it. The next week or more, it really morphed into, I'm almost, God uses to bore me to come to his presence. And this became a normal prayer time for me. On my way to work, on my way to school, this thing didn't work, I got nothing else to do. So I was with him. And then I remember about a month later, I had a friend of mine was driving somewhere with me and the radio doesn't work. What's wrong with your radio? It doesn't work. Well, what are we going to do? Well, I don't know. Well, you want to sing? Well, no, I don't want to sing. <laughs> this is so boring. I mean, I'm usually alone. I kind of like it, but he didn't know what to, just like me, didn't know what to do because we got so used to noise. In those early morning times before your family's awake or other people in your house are awake, solitude. Waiting in the pickup line. Or maybe any time you reach for your phone just because you're bored. Maybe that's a call to solitude. For me, one of my regular solitudes in the summer is um, mowing the lawn. And I got Everyone else could do it in my family, but I just don't let anybody do it. And one of the reasons I like it so much is I put these 
the ear protection things on, and this big motor and this spinning blade, and everyone just stays away. And, you know, there's only so many ways you can cut a lawn. You do it like three times, you just kind of on autopilot. So at six miles an hour, for about an hour or so, I just loop around my yard, and I'm alone with God. Other occasions, uh, in summertime, um, we'll be at a pool, and the kids get tired, and they want to go eat. I'll get in, and, and I'll, I'll get a couple of floats, and, and I'll get my ears under the water and close my eyes, and I feel instantly transported. I'm also a little scared they might come and attack me, but I know I got a little time. And so I'm instantly transported really to God's presence because I'm instantly secluded. I don't hear anything. What are some things in your normal day that you can wield for solitude? The half-day retreat. This requires flexibility. One other thing I like about Long Life, Long Life also is they used to require all their staff to schedule um, with their supervisors. Say, I'm, here's my, here's my half-day retreat. I'm taking this half of this day, and I'm not planning anything. I'm not going to see anybody. I'm not, I'm not forwarding ministry at all. I'm not shopping. I'm not doing cleaning anything. I'm just going to go somewhere and be with God. You know, for, for some of you, this might be a near impossibility. You'd have to have someone come and, and take over your responsibilities. Maybe, maybe, one of you, maybe you're the person who is the person who come and say, I'm going to give this mom some relief. And, and she's got three or four kids under five years old. And so I'll just come here for an hour or two and let her go be with God. Um, one of the things, it's more infrequent that I do, that it wasn't planned this way, but it turned out to be solitude, is um, a couple of my friends, they enjoy going to, camping out at these Chick-fil-A openings. You know about, you know about Chick-fil-A, probably. Well, they open a new store. What happens? They open a new store, and they want to get a big whoop de doo And so the first hundred people who um, are there, or who the little lottery tickets, you, if you stay all 24 hours till 6.30 next morning, you are awarded 52 free Chick-fil-A meals. It's a pretty good deal, yeah. Listen, you're invited. The next one is February 6th. It's, it's Lansdale, Pennsylvania. It's, I looked it up. Um, it's 56 miles from this church. You're welcome to come. We'll be getting there about 5.30. And we'll have some tents. And so what usually happens is, you know, you can only do so much in a parking lot. You play cards for a while, catch up. But I would get several hours of great solitude in my little tent, in our little tent city on the parking lot. Come out for Chick-fil-A every now and then. So you're invited. You can't figure out a half day, take that day off. You can join me and my friends, and it's going to be a good time. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have to go away somewhere and, and reserve something. You don't got to take a day off work and go to Chick-fil-A. Uh, it can be as simple as you just borrowing someone's house. Not forever, just for a couple hours. I'd say their house because at their house, you're not going to be tempted to straighten things or get dinner started or see anything out. You're just going to not bother anything. You're just going to, okay, I'm just at their table. I'm here to do something. to do my thing. Whereas at your house, you just got, you know, that door is a little, I'm going to go fix that door. Uh, it could be as simple as um, buying a $28 State Park sticker. I've, I've had great moments of solitude right here at White Clay Creek State Park, not far from here. For $20, it'll let you go there as often as you want, all year long. In the state parks in Delaware. Uh, every time I go, I I'm, I'm rarely see other people there. It's, you know, it's 35 miles of trails. I often am interrupted by wildlife. 
And every now and then, if it's a scary one, it really pushes me to pray more. It's, it's helpful. Um, snakes and foxes, they scare me. <clears throat> so let me give you one last thing here. Um, a couple different types of persons. Uh, young adults typically don't really want solitude. People in their teens and 20s, uh, they don't want to be alone. They want to be with people. Events happen, and from his first reaction is to text somebody, not necessarily to pray. Um, free time begins wielded for, well, let me just see who can hang out instead of, let me see if I can spend this time alone with God. There seems to be a great aversion at this age, a little desire to being alone. Maybe a fear of missing out on things is driving that. Um, Regardless, young adults maybe have the most flexibility. And what you may start as a periodic habit now will continue as life gets busier in your 30s and 40s and so on. I mentioned before, I think of mothers of young children. And um, remember, we had three kids under five. There was no way my wife was going to get solitude unless someone just came and gave it to her. Someone came and said, you leave, I'll stay here. No one will die. It probably, we'll try not to make it too messy when you get back so it's not you know, a total hardship. You go and leave and be with God. Now, don't go and leave and do a chore. Don't go and, leave and, go and leave and be with him. Think also of older adults who um, maybe have loads of solitude. And maybe what they need is the opposite. They need fellowship. You see, let me give you one more quote. This is from Bonhoeffer. And it says that really solitude it has to be in balance with fellowship. The person, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. So if you can't be alone, you should beware of pursuing community. And let him who is not in community beware of being alone. What's most natural for you, you need to move towards the other. If it's most natural for you to isolate yourself, you need to wield some of that isolation, time with God, and then move towards people. If it's natural for you to gravitate towards people, always around people, you need to isolate and move towards God alone. Sometime that's just for him. One last text. This is Psalm 46. It's probably familiar to many of you. Psalm 46, verse 10 and 11. Psalmist writes, So be still. We might surmise this happens in solitude. Quiet yourself. You be still and still the things that are around you. And know that I'm God. That I'll be exalted in the nations. That I'll be exalted in the earth. We have this command in the Old Testament to be still. Probably best achieved in solitude. And that be assured, his global purpose will succeed. He will bring a representation from all peoples, all nations, all tongues, will be at his throne. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It may be that if you've had a period of hopelessness, that God is waiting in solitude to renew your hope. That maybe what you can't hear now because there's so much noise 
He's longing to tell you there's nothing in your life he cannot revive. There's nothing that seems dead or broken he cannot mend and restore. So I commend to you this practice of solitude as you follow Christ. Pray with me. Lord, more than we could ever ever desire it or ever even see our need for it, you, you long for us to be alone with you. Not because of some deficiency in you, but because you want to supply what we need. And what we need most often is you. Would you wield this maybe even today? May some begin to find small pockets of solitude. Small moments of loneliness that they can wield to solitude with you. This week or this month, you would maybe move some here who, who would enter in and provide solitude for another. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would change our hearts when we begin to follow and model what you did. And may we find in solitude a safe, refreshing place that may we find a glimpse into heaven while we're still here on earth. All this to make your name great. All this so that you could have what you want from us and so that we could have you. Amen.